Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, so today we're in Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 through 34. And uh, we're back in the book of Mark. Last week we took a small break as we, we taught about life. And, uh, and this week we're, we're actually, uh, we're, we're teaching on which commandment is the most important of all. Which commandment is the most important of all? We'll look at it in three parts. The most important question in verse 28, uh, in verses 29 through 31, love the Lord and love people. Love the Lord and love people. And then in verses 32 through 34, understanding the answer. Understanding the answer. So just to catch us up from where we were at, so we were in the book of Mark a couple weeks ago, and we left the conversation where the Sadducees who actually controlled um, the temple. They, they handled all of the, the financing and the selling in the temple, which Jesus just overturned the tables. And, uh, and, and they, they would only study the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so as they talk about these things, they brought up a question to Jesus about the kinsman redeemer. And all that is is they were like, as they were, they were asking a question truly about the resurrection. Who, who's going to be married in the resurrection, right? And, and they went from brother to brother to brother. And, and so if I died and didn't have any children during this time, then my brother would marry my widow and bring forth a child. And the firstborn child would be named after the deceased brother. That was what they would call the kinsman redeemer. And that was something that they practiced in the Old Testament. And they went on to say there were seven brothers. And all seven died. And then the question was, well, who's going to be married to her? Right? And, and Jesus goes, no one's married in heaven. And then he goes on to explain to them, you know not the scriptures, nor the power of God. He tells them in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 24 through 27, he says, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God, uh, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And so it's a reminder to us that he is the God of the living. And so when we give our hearts to Christ, you serve the God of the living. It doesn't start when you go to heaven. It starts the moment that you raise your hand and you repent and you ask Christ into your heart because you serve the God of the living. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. 
It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. And that word meaning poemia, uh, meaning that God created you, that you're his work, and he's prepared you for good works. And created in Christ Jesus four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so as we see, as we dive into the next part of the scripture, what happens now is that brings us to where we're at. And that brings us to the, uh, the, the question that now comes from the scribe. So he moves away from the Sadducees and there's a discussion that happens. And now the scribe comes and he's going to ask a question. Now... The Sadducees, when they asked the question, they were asking a question and they didn't care about the answer. You ever have somebody do that? They just want to try to prove you wrong or they, they, they just want to make you look funny in front of your family or your friends or your co-workers. That's what the Sadducees were doing. But when the scribe comes up, he's asking a real question. And scribes, uh, you know, he, he's dealing with the question that they've discussed many of times, which is the most important commandment of all. Because he was a, 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 a lawyer of the law. They studied it. And so let's look at the most important question in verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the, uh, which is the most important of all. In the book of Matthew, we get a little bit more uh, of the discussion here. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that uh, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So the, the Sadducees are off in the corner trying to figure out what's the next question we can give them. And a scribe just walks up and starts asking the question. And he asked the question to test him. And so when, when we see this, uh, he asked that question of which is the most important commandment. The question that's asked, there's actually 613 laws in the, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, that we had to keep, right? 613. There's no way you can keep them. You can't keep these two. At some point, you're going to struggle with just these two. Loving God and loving people, okay? And guess what? You can't love people if your relationship with God is not right. That's, that's you know part of the fun of this as we dive into it but it one of the things they're talking about is that the 613 laws and so they they practice these laws and they try to live them out as best they can but guess what they couldn't keep them either the only one that could keep the law was Jesus he was sinless remember what Jesus tells them in his last public sermon his last public sermon was against the the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees against the religious, right? Those that practice religion. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, it says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every, every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These ought to have, uh, ought to have done with, without neglecting the others. So he's telling them, look, you're neglecting the things that are right, the just things that need to be done for the people of God. And you're, ne you're neglecting the love of God. That's what y'all are doing. And they see that the scribes have come up and they're disputing with one another. But he asks the question. And the scribe, again, was different from the Sadducees. 
He's asking because he actually cares about the question he's asking. He's not trying to test Jesus in a way that's, uh, that he doesn't care about the question. He cares about the answer. And the scribes were very skilled in Jewish law and theology. They were considered the lawyers of the law. And so one of the things that we know is as they talk about that, that he asked them in the book of Matthew to, to test him, uh, it was a, a test of a highly debated question. And it was an honest question. In some ways, it's, it's life's most basic question. Lord, which commandment am I to keep? This had been debated by these men many a times. Like which one? There's 613. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice of blood. The rams, the bulls. To pay for the sins because they couldn't keep the law. And Jesus is going to answer them in verse 29 as he basically tells us, I love, love that song, love the Lord, love people. Because that's really what it comes down to. And the, the love that we're talking about here is agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's where you do something and you expect nothing in return. That's agape love, sacrificial love. And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is, the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is actually the Shema. Now Jews, practicing Jews actually do this every morning and every evening. They actually quote this. The Shema. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. They, they, they repetitive go over this all the time. It's no different than how many of us have been to Catholic church. I, you know, I was there, and I could still go in and probably get some of the stuff right, you know, uh, because I grew up in it as a kid, and it was a religious practice. And, and the Shema for the Jews had become a religious practice. It's not something that's actually being lived out. It's just something they do as, as a religious activity. And that actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I think the key to that, that those verses is, is he tells them that you're supposed to teach them, right? And, and one of the things that I love is after he tells them, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And then he goes into it. But verse 7 of Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I love what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You think about that and you think, what are we teaching our kids today? How are we spending time with our kids? Your tablet, your iPhone, your, your Android phone, they know exactly how much time they're spending with that child. But are we actually spending time teaching them, showing them? I think probably one of the biggest problems that we have in the church is that we don't live it out in the house. 
They need to see a real life Christian in their house. That's hard. When you don't grow up in a godly home, you don't know what you're looking for. Because I didn't grow up, I, my, my grandparents never talked about God. Ever. Grandma and granddaddy, not unless they profess faith right at the end of their life, they went to hell. Because they never spoke about God. I'm praying I get to see them. I'm praying that they can, They were like, Lord Jesus, I repent. I need you. I'm praying they made that call at the end of their life. But that was a conversation that never came up. They could tell you all about Pat's Blue Ribbon. And every weekend, shrimp fest and drinking beers. Pick up three or four cases and then head to the house and then watch my uncles and my dad get drunk all weekend. That's what we grew up in. That's what I was taught. Think about what you were taught. Don't you want to change it? Because I do. I don't want my, my, my next generation of grandkids to grow up in that same thing that I grew up in. So we actually spend time talking to them about God, talking to them about Jesus. Teaching them how to pray. Actually having dinner at a dinner table. Wow, that's a, that's a concept, right? How many of us had dinner at a dinner table? Right? We need to get back to that. You know why? Because then you, hey, how was your day? Coral, how was your day? Right? That's what you end up finding out. Or you can say, Salem, how was your day today? Even though you spent all day with them. <laughs> There may be something going on that, hey, I need prayer for this. It's, it's, it's building those relationships. That's what's so important. Because how many times have you said to your kids, do you hear me? Are you listening? Think about God with us. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? That's why he says, hear, O Israel. Hear, listen. Listen, that's what God's Word is for. As we hear from God through His Word, we've got to listen. It means to ponder. In Acts 17.11, I was just talking about this before we got started. The new, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if the things were, uh, were so. So we need to hear the Word of God. We need to meditate, chew on it. In Psalm 1, verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we, it says, Hear, O Israel. Then the next thing it says is, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Lord our God is one is, is something that, that we can look to, and, and, and we're reminded that in the Hebrew, and as we look at Deuteronomy, in the Hebrew it actually means uh, uh, one compound unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And this was a new concept for, for Israel. And yet it was introduced by Moses. And, and uh, we know that one of the things that we need is unity within the body of Christ. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unity is a greater priority. Being one in Christ as is, is, is we are one body in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I read something, I was listening to Pastor Rich Jones at one of the pastor's conferences, and he said that, that grace isn't natural. It's spiritual. The only way that we can give grace is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can show agape love, that sacrificial love, it's not natural. It's through the spiritual. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need unity. We need unity in the body of Christ. We need unity in the nation. Right? As we talk about loving our neighbor, that will be one of the things we talk about. It's hard right now because everybody wants to fight. You can go just to the store and everybody's ready to go. It's like UFC. People are ready to throw down, man. H-E-B, some lady lost it and boom, threw her stuff down. And I'm like, I felt so bad for the, the register persons. But she's like, this happens all the time now. People are stressed out. People are frustrated. So what do you think is going to show out more than anything? The love of Christ. The grace of Christ. That's unity in the body. I prayed with, we were with First Baptist Divine, me, Matt, and a couple of the others, and we actually spent, instead of doing uh, breakfast like we usually do every Thursday, we actually spent the time in prayer, praying for each other, praying for each other's churches. We have to come together. And, and I know... It, you know, there are so many political differences and social differences, and we have to get past all that and love people. But it starts with the love of God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The love of the Lord means that we're well pleased to be content. And when you love the Lord your God, it's not by duty, but by relationship. So how is that different? What is the difference between duty and relationship? Relationship is, on my wife's birthday, everybody got together to try to do something special for her because it was her birthday. Nobody said you had to do it. Nobody said it needed to be done. Everybody was moved to do it because of their relationship with mom. Now, how do you think you're going to feel if somebody walks up to you and says, Happy birthday, Mom. I've done my duty. I'm going to go out. Where's the love in that? There's no love. It's by relationship. The way that we, we serve and, and, and live 
for God is by our relationship. And it starts with the love. It starts with the agape love. And see, we see a huge difference between duty and love. And sometimes people in church, they, they can do that grit-filled duty and look like they're Christian. But there's no love in what they're doing. There's no relationship in what they're doing. It's all about love. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, it says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He first loved us. Greater is no love that he gave his life for us on the cross. When you feel like you're not loved, look to the cross. Jesus died for you. He loved you that much. He went through the mocking, the spitting, the beating. Nails pierced. All for you because He loved you. And see, sometimes we, I don't know what it is. We, we, we have to understand that, that God loves us and, and, and wants that relationship with us. And it's a two-way street. No relationship works. Think about your marriage. You don't talk to your wife for a month. You think that relationship's going to be good? No. It's going to get worse the further and further you get away from God. So when we, when we neglect spending time with God in this Word, we neglect spending time in prayer, we start neglecting church, next thing we know is we start pulling away and the relationship gets distant. And that's a dangerous thing. It says, and, and love the Lord your God with all your heart. And again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the cardia is the word in the Greek. It's the center of your spiritual life. It's the fountain and the seed and thoughts of passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. So what is the spiritual, spiritual uh, center of your life? What is your passions? Do they line up with God's Word? What are your desires? Do they line up with God's Word? Your appetites, your affections, your purposes, your, and your endeavors. When we come to Christ, it tells us in Ezekiel 36, 20, uh, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I love Psalm 51, 10. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he says, And Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? You can imagine a deer running from a fire, trying to find water with everything it's got and panting, gasping for breath and, and then trying to swallow because he can't swallow. You're looking for that stream. 
And that flowing stream is, is the living stream that we talked about this week. It should be actually overflowing out of our lives. God is the living water, Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the living water. And, and we need to remember that at the end of the day that our thirst should be in God alone and no one else. And one of the other things, again, it's the living God, not the dead idol. And he says, with all your soul, with all your mind, your mind, the faculty of understanding. That's what it means in the Greek. Feeling, desire, dealing with good or bad thoughts. This is where people struggle. This here. Their, their temptation. Because when you start allowing that temptation to take root, that's when you fall into sin. You need to deal with it here in the mind. So when we love our Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, that means we're, we're dealing with those thoughts. And let me tell you something. I, thank God I don't have a, a TV up here with the things that go through my mind. Because I have to, man, I'm like, Lord, where did that come from? But I lived a, a sinful life for 39 years before God got hold of me. I sowed into and, and reaped, and I'm reaping still some of those thoughts, and I have to ask God to delete them from my memory bank. Because I'm like, where did it come from? But you know what helps me take care of those? The Bible. Having Scripture. Because I know that's not from God. That's not from God. That's the devil trying to tempt me. And I'm not going down that road. We have to have an answer for the day sin comes knocking at your door because it's going to come knocking. Every one of us will have to deal with it throughout the day. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that... Uh, discern what his will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect when we allow God as we're a holy and living sacrifice we're transformed it's a renewal of the mind and I love that because you can discern what is good and bad you can discern what is good and bad you can actually know what the will of God is as well in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They go together. And then finally, he says, With all your mind and with all your strength, in Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield, and Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks. That means that real love will endure when it's given with all of our strength. See, sometimes, you know, if you think about it, we don't want to love each other, but that's just a feeling or emotion. If you really are going to sacrificially love somebody, you're going to endure it. You're going to, because it's his strength that you're depending on. It's, it's every area of your life, inwardly and outwardly. You're, you're allowing God to physically work through you 
And it, it, it's going to make you use muscles in the heart that you've never used. Like, I can't believe I'm actually going to go help this person. They've done me wrong, but God said for me to go help this person. I'm going to go love on them and show them grace and mercy. And, and you never know. That, that may be the one thing that brings that person back to a right relationship with God because you, you stepped out in faith and did what God did, but you didn't do it in your strength. You did it in His in Psalm 59, 16, it says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. And then verse 31 says, And second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Do you see that the word doesn't say commandments? He gave you two, right? Jesus paired these two together. Commandment. See, I love what Jesus has gone over. We find out that Jesus tells us that we are to love our wives, right? As Paul tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, right? And if you go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm angry at my wife. Well, what does God say? Love your enemies. You can't get past it. Then he tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone. And and think about this. This is, again, agape love. This is the kind of love that's unconditional. It's perfect. It's eternal. And I love the the book of Luke. It gives us an example of, of this love. And Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37, and Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the religious person goes, I got nothing to do with that. I'm going to keep going. Doesn't try to help him, Right? And it's just, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave him. And so likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So he does the same thing. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. Then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when you come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said to the one who showed mercy, and Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The thing that Jesus was trying to show them is the Jews hated the Samaritans. Hated them. I mean, absolutely hated them. And, and we have so much hate that's going on in our country today. We have to get past that. Because if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to understand that there are going to be people that don't agree with what you agree with. Right? But you still have to love them and show grace. Uh, even, even when we don't agree with them. We talked about life last week. And we, we addressed life through the Scriptures. And this past week, there was a, a pastor out of Atlanta that said, if you're, if you're pro-life, you're demonic. Your church is demonic. 
And I was like, my Lord, what is wrong? But there's a great apostasy that's happening. People are falling away from Christ, and, and it's happening from people teaching it in the pulpit. It's wrong. But you know what? Somebody needs to love him, share truth with him, show grace to him, and love the people in that church. See, we may not agree with the things that happen in our nation. We may not agree with politics. Because I know I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's happening with this administration. It drives me nuts sometimes. Right? Because I think we should be taking care of our people, too. I'm all for taking care of other people, but I'm also for taking care of Americans as well. Because I see families that are hurting in this community. I mean, when you have a food bank distribution and they run out of food, we got a problem. Now, I, I run into people all the time, especially in San Antonio, that are far left, but I have to love them. They need to know the love of Christ. They need that. Instead of staring at somebody who has three masks on at the restaurant, and then they take all three masks on to eat, right? We need to love them. We need to be praying for them. You see how easy it is to 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 want to be against your neighbor? There's been so many. Th- Do you not think this is from the devil? All these things. The, it wants to create confusion. Wants to create division, even in the church. Even in the church, and we can't have that. We can't. Now, one of the things I love is one of the pastors from our area is trying to create a, to build a bridge even with the global network. We don't agree with everything they agree with, but we agree in Jesus. To at least try to, to, to rebuild some of the, the love that, that has been lost. And I, I'm like, man, I support you. We'll be praying for it. I was reading this verse this week, and I was like, man, yeah, I don't agree with everything they do. But they still believe in Jesus. They still teach Christ. Right? We don't agree with every different denomination or whatever. They teach the, the Bible. They, they teach about repentance. They teach about Jesus. We can come to an agreement on that. All the theological stuff we don't need to argue about. So we need to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because we love ourselves. How many of you actually looked in the mirror this morning to see what you looked like? You ate breakfast. You had tacos here. You love yourself. You ate. You made sure your hair was done. If you have hair like me, I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Makes, I'm telling you what, when you don't have hair, you get dressed so much quicker. You don't have to do nothing. But we do love ourselves. We love to, we love to take care of ourselves, but we need to have that same love for others. And remember, he says in there, there is no other, other commandment greater than these. So he, he, he put that as a singular commandment. Like these two go together. You can't do one without the other. You can't love people without loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And now we understand, we'll look at the answer here, understanding the answer and finally in verse 32 through 34. And we'll get through these pretty quickly. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there, there is no one other besides him. So first we see that, that he calls him what? Teacher. 
a sign of respect. So this scribe automatically addresses him as teacher. And this is a big deal because he has the Sadducees right there and the crowd. And they're in the temple. And this scribe, who is a lawyer of the law, calls him what? Teacher. It's a big deal. And he goes on to say, and to love, the, uh, love him with all your heart and with all, your understand, all the understanding, meaning he's taken and substituted that with the mind, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so the mindset of, of the, the Jews was to just offer up a sacrifice. If you can't keep the law, do a sacrifice, right? But I love in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 21 through 23, uh, 23 says, it says, But the people took the spoil, sheep, oxen, and the best things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God of Gilgag. And Samuel has, the Lord has a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams, for the rebellion is as sin of divination, and presumption is as in, uh, in antiquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord and he has also rejected you from being king. So what he's saying is it's better for you to be obedient than to sacrifice. And that's what Saul was doing. Saul was disobedient and Samuel called him out on it. You didn't do what God told you to do. Better for you to be obedient than to sacrifice. That's the same thing with us as, as we, uh, as a church, we, we need to be busy serving not only within the church, within our, our community, but it has to be done with agape love. It's without expecting anything in return. That's why we're involved, you know, Miss Elva works at the Divine Food Pantry. We help here with the food bank distribution. You know, wherever we can help out. I mean, we, this wonderful ministry, we're just here this week. We'll be back in the main uh, area next week. But, you know, just Third Street Closet that's here. You know, they help those of, of abuse. And, and so there's so much work to be done within the community, and we need to be a part of it. But it starts with agape love, because anything other than that is just burnt offerings. If you're doing it in your own strength and without the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning that you're not, you're just, I'm going to just be busy doing this and God's not called you to do it. So I don't want you being busy in the church and not being called to do it. Uh, you need to be called. And, and I love what he says, you know, in verse 34. And he says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He's like, not going to ask anything else. So Jesus answered him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And remember, Jesus talked about that when he first started back in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus declares that he's not far from the kingdom of God. And, and Mark is pointing that God's economy, there's something more important than the technicalities of the law. It's about the heart. It's about repentance. It's not about the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the religious duties. It's 
about the heart. That's the relationship with God. It's, it's not legalism. It's love. And Jesus is in, implicitly inviting him to accept that. And that's what Jesus teaches us to do. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is participating in God's reign. And you go, well, wait a minute, man. He's the God of the living. God wants to use you. And I always tell people, it's not necessarily you be used in the church. Sometimes it's for you just to be a little league coach and teach them godly. Like be, a, be an example of grace and love in the community. If you serve at the Medina Electric or you serve working for the city, be that example of Christ. At our schools, we're supposed to be the example of Christ. Remember, we're not teaching people about legalism. It's love. Now, I'm, not, I'm 100%. I'm going to share truth with you. But it has to be done with love. You can go ahead and come on up, sir. All right, so today is Communion Sunday. And uh, we do Communion Sunday on the first, uh, first Sunday of every month. And uh, Reuben, can you pass out the elements? And, and so communion is for believers. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 28, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So one of the things that we have to do is like in, in order for you to take communion, you need to be a follower of Christ. And so with eyes closed and, and I'll give you an opportunity to pray and, and you can just pray this yourself. One of the things is, as a follower of Christ is we have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to ask for forgiveness of our sins and turn away from them. We have to believe that Christ died on the cross and will receive Christ into our heart and our life. It tells us very simply in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so just pray this prayer after me. If you would like to receive Christ and become a follower of Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Enter my heart, Lord, and I believe in my heart. Guide my life and help me do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.